0: Hello, and welcome to episode 7 of the Talk Show Talk Show podcast. And I'm your host, George Grimwood. In this episode, I speak with Ocho, another member of the Sitcom Club podcast, in which we talk about desk culture, and that is to say, life behind and beyond desks in the world of talk shows in the UK and beyond. So, we're in a situation here where you are a British person in America, but you're still more inclined to the more British chat shows than the American talk shows, is that right?
1: Insofar as I'm inclined to chat shows at all, this is part of why I'm here, I'm almost here as a naysayer, because I'm not particularly interested in chat shows, talk shows, or any of that stuff. So, But I have been doing some research into British chat shows. Mm-hmm. The five-night-a-week late-night show, as far as I'm aware, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's only ever been one British television example, certainly on what we used to call terrestrial. There's only been one example of somebody doing a a a five-night-a-week-behind-a-desk chat show, and that was Jack Doherty in 1997. Did he make it into 1998?
0: It was relatively fleeting. I've only seen... The only time I've seen Jack Doherty since he went off-air following the chat show on Channel 5 was in the bar of Soho Theatre, which wasn't really the same, (laughs) admittedly. I'm actually 100% certain that somewhere on a videotape, I have the first episode recorded from the opening night of Channel 5.
1: And it was sold as a big thing, because people were aware of that format. It was something that was talked about a lot, but this was the first time it was being tried. I guess part of it was being on Channel 5, meant it wasn't quite such a valuable piece of television real estate as a channel, which allowed them to do that give over five nights a week but at the same time meant they couldn't really get the high-profile guests they needed week in, week out. And do you recall any of the guests that sort have of highlighted in the Jack Doherty show? I just remember the Spice Girls were the first ones on. Yeah. Because there weren't even any scandals, were there? I don't think there was <laughs> a time when somebody said something completely outrageous and the following day it was Jack Doherty chat show, shocker.
0: Well, you know what? It turns out that it not only reached 1998, I've just discovered, it reached 1999. It ran from, specifically, 30th of March 1997 right through to the 23rd of June 1999. Oh. And, in fact, he won the award for Best Newcomer at the 1997 British Comedy Awards despite the fact that he'd been around for a long period of time with The Absolutely Troop, but even so.
1: Is Steve Allen's Tonight Show the first time they do that five nights a week? And what year is that?
0: Well, if the Steve Allen show is the one that preceded The Tonight Show, this would have been
1: 1956 on NBC. So a mere 41 years for the idea to be tried. And a couple of shows ago, you had Mooncat on, mm. and he was talking about attempts to show American chat shows in the UK. There was talk. Of BBC One going four nights a week with Parkinson in the late 70s.
0: Ah, uh, yes, I was going to check because I, I was thinking, well, on his return, that might have been a bit exhausting. <laughs> but yes, the late 70s, that makes sense. So, what's the story behind this? Why, why did this not happen?
1: I think it was Bill Cotton who was pushing for his controller of BBC One at the time, and it was in Bill Cotton who I think brought Parkinson in in 1971, 72, and his push at. Initially was for Parkinson to be well at one point there was this idea of it being slightly Ed Sullivan ish, a bit more like Parkinson linking acts. But then when it was getting settled on a chat show, the idea was behind a desk. Which had been the way it'd been done on British television before. We'll get to the predecessors of Parkinson in a bit. It was Parkinson who said no the desk kills conversation. There's got to be nothing between the host and the guests. Hmm. That's
0: interesting. I did not know Parkinson actually personally said no desk
1: that was his point of view i think his producer may have gone along with it i'm not saying he was the originator but it was definitely bill cotton on one side and parkinson on the other as to whether he should have a desk or not and he turned that idea down fast forward to 1978 cotton's now thinking british version of the tonight show parkinson is now the chat show king so that's fine he's proven and it would have replaced tonight Is coincidentally called. I think it was the sort of the grandson of the Cliff Mitchell more show because it was a news program. But it was now later on at night. It wasn't mid-evening like the original BBC one tonight. And that was where it became a controversial idea: moving news for light entertainment. So from what I can
0: gather, it would seem that the late seventies appears to be the golden age for the development of the chat show slash talk show, in that you've got the American influence coming into the British side of things and with Bill Cotton urging on a potential American-style chat show in the UK. Is that right?
1: Yeah, this becomes a news story in itself. Observer, March 11th, 1979, Milne defends chat shows. Alistair Milne defending this idea of scrapping the news programme tonight, replacing it with Michael Parkinson four nights a week. The Board of Governors broadly approved the idea, but it was clearly... A controversial idea i think if you look today there are complaints that the bbc is still a bit of a news dominated organization that's taken slightly more seriously than anything else and
0: there does seem to be a element in many respects even with the likes of question time and Newsnight, where in comparison to say the usual news tradition of having a bit of a laugh for the last five minutes or so Newsnight and question time now for the most part, welcome a guest who has at least one foot in the entertainment world as opposed to the political world, just to liven things up slightly. And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, tonight, and I haven't watched it yet, but I'm intrigued to see, we had a bit of a crossover. In fact, this is an appropriate time to be talking about the American influence on British chat shows, is because Jay Leno was on the one show, apparently. Yes. Which I haven't watched yet, and I have no idea what he's promoting, but I'm very intrigued to see how that worked out since we did see jay leno's the tonight show whilst we're in los angeles last year so i'll be intrigued to see what he's got to bring to the one show in fact a small part of me would like to think that he's hiding in the background of a comedy club in somewhere in london tonight and he's going to just miraculously appear and do stand-up for 20 minutes and i'd like to think that the audience will get him but not all of them will know him and I, i'd like to think that would be a nice thing i think that'd be a, a an enjoyable experience I think maybe he's in talks to save Good Morning Britain. There was speculation yesterday between myself and Jonathan Sloman, aka okay, Squiddy, who was on the show. I'm not really saying that. <laughs> I was whimsy. Well, you you never know. Uh, there was speculation between myself and Jonathan Sloman, aka Squiddy, yesterday that he might be in line for Celebrity Big Brother. Oh, oh dear. Yes, that was our reaction as well. But we were thinking, well... In, in many respects, it does make some kind of sense. Don't get me wrong, I do not approve, and I, I'm not a fan of Celebrity Big Brother, Big Brother, I'm a Jungle, Get Me Out of My Celebrity, anything like that. I'm not keen on any of those reality television shows as, as such. I think the closest I ever was being keen to Big Brother was when there was a rumoured theory that if they launched Big Brother on Halloween, they would do it for two weeks only, and it would be designed to psychologically torture (laughs) the the people in the house, and the last one who could stand it would be let out. And that was more or less it. They would move around things in the house when they were asleep, and they'd wake up to the sound of horrific noises, and they would put a couple of plants in there, one who may or may not be an actual murderer. There was all all these kind of rumours. Paul Daniels doing his Iron Maiden trick. What, you mean just sitting there and talking about the Conservatives in the 80s for a... (laughs) for an hour which to be fair he uh, that could be interesting i suppose it could be i suppose that i'd rather see that over george galloway in in tights meowing like a cat but unfortunately that's the tragedy of reality television that anything actually is possible back in the day when father ted had the simps the early simpsons mentality of within this reality certain things are possible certain things aren't but ultimately it's fair game and then reality television came into play and suddenly anything was possible in relation to oh that celebrity is doing that stupid thing for money oh that celebrity is doing that stupid thing for no money (laughs) oh that normal person is doing nothing for nothing Oh, that person who may be slightly unhinged is on television and shouting their racist, misogynistic opinions to the public who are lapping it up at a rapid rate and potentially voting them, so encouraging them so that they may receive a large sum of money and release a single that will probably bomb and then they'll probably die. But that's the tragedy of reality television. But nevertheless, going slightly off topic.
1: So when Mooncat was talking about The Tonight Show being shown in the UK, Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Did he mention Parkinson's reaction to it?
0: We are yet to discuss the the world of Michael Parkinson as such, so...
1: I think you need to read some Woof-It's annuals first, but...
0: Well, yes. Oh, that was the other thing as well. We did ponder over the fact that Michael Parkinson's involvement with Desert Island Discs was apparently an answer for the quiz show Pointless, which may or may not be a good thing. I haven't seen the series.
1: Uh, Mooncat passed on some of his research on that point to me. And uh, in The Guardian in 1981, why Parkey doesn't rate Johnny Carson. And he he's said that he thought it was a stupid idea, buying Carson, and that people were not going to get the references. And he said, one day someone will get what I was denied by the BBC, a show five nights a week. Crikey. If we go by the dates as it happens, because tonight the BBC News programme Moves to BBC Two and becomes Newsnight, and that starts in January 1980. So Tonight does move from BBC One, but when the decision was taken that they were not going to do a four or five night a week chat show with Michael Parkinson, and it was said that this was in response to public criticism of the idea that real estate was still freed up on BBC One late night for entertainment shows, and this thing there will be a midweek Wednesday chat show. But if we take that timeline of tonight, moving to BBC Two, becoming Newsnight, I'm going to say that had it happened, the Michael Parkinson show five nights or four nights a week would have started January 1980.
0: So are there any indications that, in reverse, Michael Parkinson, did he ever try to break the American
1: market? No. I mean, he did have his show in Australia. That seems to have been enough for him. Oh, I need to see some of that. I don't think his style would have translated... Because he, he does occasionally upset American guest stars. There is of quite a few. I think Dinah Ross didn't like his line of questioning, apart from the famous incident with Meg Ryan. Yes, yeah. Though he always said his worst interview was James Cagney. Why was that? Because Cagney had no idea of his own mythology. Hmm. And was not coming on to be the big superstar James Cagney. Because he was doing the film Ragtime, his great screen comeback because he hadn't been in anything since one two three and the initial question is obviously so why have you come back to screen acting after all this time is that i'm diabetic my doctor said i needed to work that's it so the next question is what have you been doing all this time i have a farm i have cattle i have this number of white face cattle There's no anecdotes forthcoming. He's answering them like it's a questionnaire, like it's a tax form. And Parkinson really started to panic, and that's when he brings on Pat O'Brien, because he realises that uh, Cagney's not trying to be awkward, as far as I can tell from what I see. He doesn't know. Maybe this is what you do on chat shows. Maybe the guy has 200 questions, (laughs) and you answer each one with one sentence.
0: So essentially Meg Ryan became the Jimmy Cagney of, of guests. Which is a weird thing. <laughs> then again... she had lack of automobiles.
1: <laughs> well, then again, she couldn't physically speak. So going back, I said before Parkinson, the desk was still the way it was being done in the UK. Mm. I'm basing that on two shows I've seen, two chat shows I've seen from the 1960s, because the BBC's chat show king before Parkinson was Simon D. Yes. And there's not a great deal of his material out there to check now. There are two editions of D-Time. Existing from the BBC, and I think a few clips of one show of his London Weekend Show.
0: I'd like to track down at some point Victor Lewis Smith's deconstruction as well, or deconstructed.
1: There was a documentary, there was a talk, a group discussion, and a brand new edition of D Time.
0: I'm not too familiar with Simon D, but his name keeps coming up, and so I will be digging around and seeing if I can investigate more about him.
1: There are a number of theories about why he vanished the way he did. One of them is he was not nice enough to people on the way up, or that he just got on the wrong side of Bill Cotton. The story is is that before one of his shows, he just comes out to the audience and says, right, tickets are difficult to get hold of, so you're lucky to be here. When I say something funny, you laugh. I don't know how true that that could be something you know, slightly reworded or made to look worse by somebody who feels they were justified in being part of his downfall. The big thing was his move to London Weekend where they already had David Frost. David Frost doing three nights a week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, doing a news-based program, an entertainment-based chat show, and then a chat show with sketches and a little bit more variety-based. Yeah. So it's felt that when D gets to London weekend, he's already surplus to requirements. I mean, he goes from being on BBC One Saturday night, round about six fifteen, six thirty, to being at 11.30 on Sunday nights. Yeah. In terms of slots and
0: format as well, because I suppose the symbolism of the desk, the desk culture as well, in regards to Parkinson and his opinion on Carson, which I'm I'm certainly intrigued about, because in regards to that comment, you said that that he'd been deprived of that opportunity. It does seem a little bit like there's sour grapes involved when it comes to... His criticism of Carson. But it does make me wonder as well, if does that mean that he doesn't agree with the way that the Carson way? Or is it that...
1: Well, if you remember, I can't remember if there was a particular host reserved for Parkinson's Eye, but I remember in the 90s when he did his comeback, the, the thing was, I am a proper journalist, and there are too many chat shows that are just being presented by celebrities and comedians.
0: Now, was he referring to the British market at that point or generally?
1: I'm not sure. I think possibly he was referring to the British market and maybe he was aiming at people like Clive Anderson.
0: Or Chris Evans.
1: That too, yes. Yeah. Parkinson prided himself on the journalistic quality of his chat show. And as entertaining it was, occasionally he did do things that I don't think would have been done in American chat show. There's the one where he gets very close to getting Richard Burton to say that he's alcoholic. He asks him a question about his drinking and Burton answers the question and the follow-up question doesn't come so he keeps talking and he keeps talking and he gets very close to saying that it's a genuine problem.
0: Very much in the same way that he had a conversation with Woody Allen about his situations not too soon after it had all been out in the press.
1: Ah, now, a little correction or addition to the first edition of the podcast. When Mooncat was telling you about times that The Tonight Show was shown on British television, Mm -hmm. Jay Leno's Tonight Show was shown, I think, once on BBC Two. When BBC Two started showing Larry Sanders, it was felt they needed to explain. Again, this is the difference in culture. It was felt they needed to explain what the American chat show style was. I think they showed A Tonight Show with Jay Leno and Late Night with Conan O'Brien. I think they showed his first show.
0: Oh wow was this just for just on the so this was on BBC when they first aired Larry Sanders
1: yeah sometime in the mid to late 90s
0: wow and this was just one night kind of as a way of introducing
1: i'm not sure if it was one night or week by week that there would have been a tonight show before episode 1 and a late night before episode 2 that's very interesting i hadn't, I hadn't realized at the time that i'd need to know this years later <laughs>
0: Well, no, but that's that's interesting that they had to put that into a context, because I mean, I watch Larry Sanders now, and as I'm learning more and more about that era and, and, and what was going on behind the scenes, it's interesting to suddenly get far more of the references in Larry Sanders than I did previously. Even just references to Bill Carter's book, The Late Shift, or rivalries, or certain gimmicks that we use to keep the ratings up, or incidents that completely mirror real life events of other talk shows suddenly they're all making sense which i'm thoroughly enjoying that and i like the fact that when i went to see the tonight show with jay leno you had him high-fiving the audience very much in the same way that larry sanders desperately tries to get his ratings back up by running through the crowd (laughs) in the last series of the larry sanders
1: show And there was another instance of Jay Lennon's Tonight Show being shown on British television. Channel 4 showed the interview with Hugh Grant after his infamous moment on Sunset Boulevard. Now, this is something that came to mind only the other day, was that
0: I was going through a number of Tonight Show with Johnny Carson clips online and a few Late Night with Letterman clips online, and it did occur to me, are there any real standout, memorable episodes or moments from Jay Leno's Tonight Show and I suppose the Hugh Grant one is the definitive
1: one in that respect but beyond that are there many other examples? I wouldn't know it's out of my (laughs) field but the reason I brought that one up is I'm assuming Grant did some British chat shows afterwards but obviously not immediately afterwards his first interview after that incident is on the Tonight Show they've obviously had him booked before it breaks out and just so there's no you know there's no way you're getting out of this booking. But if you imagine the, the line of questioning that Michael Parkinson would have taken, much more probing and personal, or the line of questioning that someone like Clive Anderson would have taken, which was much more insolent. Or Parky's first question being, what was she like? I don't think Parky would have been interested. But <laughs> <laughs> pa- pa- Parky seems to have sometimes an interest in just the underlying psychology. I'm, I don't know if it was the first of his 90s comeback shows, but there's one with this him and Lionel Richie and I think maybe Anthony Hopkins, and they're all just talking about their relationships with their fathers Yeah, in this very kind of group therapy fashion. I don't mean that as a criticism. I just mean it's interesting that it suddenly becomes this rather emotional and somewhat psychological chat show. I guess that was part of his criticisms of others that he does try and get a picture of the person rather than, right, I'll, you do the setup and I'll do the punchline, then I'll do another setup and you do a punchline. Or, of course... Clive Anderson and the Bee Gees, which I can see, I can see why they walked off. Because if you look, and he said himself, he'd lost them at a certain point, and he hadn't noticed because they weren't answering questions properly. They were just giving him feed lines for punch lines. And it's been a while since I've seen that clip. But also, my memory is that Barry and Robin stand up at the same time, like they're both telepathically. <laughs> Robin has sensed that Barry's about to get up and stand off, and he's going with him.
0: And only one remains. For a, for a moment at least, is that right?
1: Yes. Hmm. <laughs> I better go. I,
0: I best be off.
1: But Anderson is lost. Then he's really not prepared for that. It's interesting that people went. Oh, you know, they've got no sense of humour. like, but Anderson doesn't come out particularly well because he he's out of his depth. And one thing that didn't make the cut. I understand that somebody from the audience stood up and started shouting at him, saying, "I've come all the way from Holland to see the Bee Gees, and you've spoiled my night." Wow. Well, we need to find that video. But back to Simon D. What's often pointed out as the incident that finished Simon D was George Lesenby naming people he thought were involved in the assassination of John F. Kennedy. I've heard that he doesn't actually start shouting names, he just gives D a list. This is, just take a look at that. I've, I've, I know who's behind it all. I think John Lennon and Yoko Ono are the other guests.
0: I thought you meant they were on the list.
1: But this must be about January, because Anna Majesty's Secret Service comes out at the end of '69. So Lazenby's going to still be doing the. Show circuit early seventy, and Simon D Chatsworth starts nineteen seventy, but he struggles on until summer.
0: I thought you were going to say that it was January. The weird thing was that it preceded the JFK assassination, <laughs> and so he was giving him this list, saying,
1: "Yeah, give the give these guys a ring and tell them it's on. Bring it." Yeah. So that that's pointed as the moment, but he D struggles on for a few months and it ends in the summer, but then it's all wiped. So you don't have to look very far for conspiracy theories about how, well, D himself believed that he'd somehow managed to upset the MI5 and or the CIA. That's why his career never went anywhere. I can't comment on that. I mean, I might stop by Langley. What, what if, if I go first? He only files on Simon D. No? Okay.
0: Well, yes, if, if you have any further information on the Simon D conspiracy, by, by all means, please do um, keep us posted. But I'm certainly interested to investigate further about michael parkinson's direct reflections upon carson and what carson represented in terms of the world of the talk show and in terms of the involvement of michael parkinson did he ever have another talk show host on
1: his show do we know you mean like guest hosting coming on as a guest i don't think so it doesn't sound like the kind of thing the view I have, and I'm sure if I looked at a complete guest list, is the idea that it's just like one legend after another, either a legend of Hollywood or a legend of British comedy. Hmm. The idea that it was Orson Wells One Week and the Goons' The Next is probably not entirely correct. But I'm not even sure about him having stand-ups. Because, of course, yeah, I mean, Jay Leno was on Des O'Connor Tonight. Des O'Connor Tonight, another example of a British chat show that's in that sofa, nothing between... Hosting guests, just a table between them for putting their water on. Wow. Jay Leno was on Des O'Connor tonight. I think they're pretty good friends, actually. Crikey. But in terms of Parkinson having a stand-up come on and just do their routine, I'm actually trying to think of a British chat show where anybody does their routine in that style where the host just kind of throws to them and they stand before a curtain and just address the audience and then maybe come to the host afterwards. In my mind, like Des O'Connor, who would have had more comedians on, the routine would have been done sitting down with Des in view at all times, not least when Stan Boardman decided to tell his joke. The Fockers. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I guess this also ties in with another aspect of talk show culture that we'll be covering along the lines in terms of signature guests. And with Parkinson, one comedian that comes to mind is Billy Connolly. yes. Now, I know that Biddy Connolly certainly performed songs on Parkinson. I guess that was sitting there with him, though, as opposed to...
1: Yeah, a question might come up that sets up part of a routine, but just that idea of, ladies and gentlemen, this person, the only chat show that comes to mind where something like that would have been done, and it wasn't really entirely a chat show, was Bob Monkhouse's BBC Two programme, where he would allow stand-ups to do their routine to the audience and then have a talk afterwards. And if I could get a complete guest list of that show, if I could get a complete recordings of episodes, that would be that really would be something worth one of the cable, well even even BBC Two actually. Tommy Cooper and Sandra Bernhardt have been interviewed <laughs> by the same person on the same show, not necessarily the same edition of the same show, but that's that's something to think about. Certainly. Another reason I bring up this stand-up comedian doing the routine from the desk. Another show I watched. I'm quite impressed with this that I found this, part of my research. I found a show and I had I was telling Mooncat that I was gonna be doing this and I was doing some research and he could not guess the show. He had I'm not sure if he'd even he'd even heard of it. British Chat Show done from a desk. I won't put you through the guessing game. The Airman Andrews Show. Ooh. Okay. The edition I watched was from nineteen sixty-six. I think it did go into nineteen seventy. It was originally on ABC, and it was being brought from Teddington. So it was being done in London, despite the fact that the company doing it held the franchise for the North and the Midlands. The edition I watched was a one-off special from Manchester, but that was because it was the 10th anniversary of ITV in the North. And he comes out, it's done in a fairly American style. He comes out and he tells a couple of jokes. It's not really a monologue. And the monologue is just there to break the ice. I mean, Wogan did the same thing. He would be quite droll and say amusing things but he would not come on and say oh have you seen this in the papers i gotta tell you and go off into routine that the jokes are just there just to ease everybody into the show andrews goes to his desk his first guest is harry h corbett and corbett comes on and sits sits at the desk next to him they're both sitting behind the same thing they're not <laughs> andrews is having to turn to face him
0: that's unusual.
1: It's a weird little two-microphone desk, and yet they do also have the traditional sofa. So when Corbett's finished, he stays at the desk, Billy Whitelaw comes on and sits at the sofa, and they have a chat with her. And then one of his last guests later in the evening, there's about five There's five different guests on this show. I mean, there's two musical guests, Harry H. Corbett, Billy Whitelaw, Sir John barbarolli conductor of the Halley Orchestra, and a, a comedian called Peter Maloney. Now, Maloney takes up the desk position when he does his bit, but is it, Andrews asks him one question, and it goes off into a prepared routine, which is delivered to the audience but from the desk, and then one more question, and that goes off into a routine. It's They're not really amusing answers. It's almost like Eamon Andrews has become the straight man, the Welmer boy. And was this the format that stuck right through the entire show? I've not seen any of the colour episodes, because it did go to Thames, but the, the problem there is and this is going to get extremely painful to explain. I have no doubt that some of your listeners are American. How much do you want me to explain the ITV franchise system? Please do. In agonising detail?
0: Yes, well, put it this way, I've I've got a bad back, and I can't be as agonising as my back right now.
1: For those of you too American or too young, are not paying attention at the time, even though it happened at a time when you could have noticed it happening, Independent television, commercial television, started in Britain in 1955, was split up into a number of geographic regional franchises. The number has changed. 14 is a good number to hold on, 14 to 16. So different companies are serving different patches, and occasionally different companies are serving different patches at different times of the week. Up until the late 60s, the North and the Midlands, which were both very populous areas, had one franchise serving them Monday to Friday and another franchise serving them Saturday and Sunday. This was also the case in London, and it was the case in London until 2002, when ITV, everybody bought everybody else out, and it's just consolidated into one massive lump of a network with no great regional commitment. The relevance to this, when Eamon Andrews was doing his show up until 1968 for a company called ABC Television who had weekend franchises in the Northern Midlands. He's able to go out I think he was going out late at half past ten on a Sunday night. So he's doing a late night show. In nineteen sixty eight the weekend franchises in the Northern Midlands are wound up. Those two companies go five nights a week. ABC is has nowhere to go, so it goes into London, into a partnership with Rediffusion, in a new company called Thames, and they're serving London Monday to Friday afternoon. The relevance being, Eamon Andrews is one of the guys who comes in from ABC. His chat shows move from late night Sunday to late night Thursday. Because if he wanted a weekend chat show, he'd have to move to a different company. He'd have to move to London Weekend Television. Or hope that one of the other companies somewhere else in the map, and not all of those companies are particularly money rich or resource rich, you would have to hope that one of those could somehow get a weekend networked show. So I think that's the end of the Eamon Andrews show. Thursday nights is just not a good time for a a once-a-week show.
0: It became a stalwart thing of Saturday nights being the night to stay in on British television for a very long time, more so focused on variety and game shows than necessarily talk shows. But in many respects, a lot of the variety shows that have been featured on British Saturday night television over the last 50 years or so has been akin to including some kind of conversation, but ultimately nothing as in-depth, say, as a Michael Parkinson conversation.
1: Yeah, I mean, Parkinson was traditionally late-night Saturdays, but then it shifts. Uh, When was the the last resort with Jonathan Ross? Was that Fridays? But the big shift is in the mid-'80s, when it goes to Wogan, who's on three nights a week, Matching David Frost's record. But that was Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And it was 7 o'clock? So that idea of the the talk show, the chat show, as late-night staple in the UK is kind of broken by that.
0: Unless there were repeats.
1: Uh, Well, Wogan had started out late-night Saturday night replacing Parkinson, who'd gone off to TVAM. But I remember when the whole J. Leno, Conan O'Brien thing flared up a few years ago. There was somebody on a British forum going, Why can't they share? Why does it have to be on five nights a week? And why does it have to be on so late?
0: I think so when they share, they share the desk.
1: <laughs> that that'd be Ask interesting. questions in unison.
0: That'd be now. That would be interesting. Two hosts, not even sidekicks, just two hosts.
1: So this this idea, it, it was interesting. I think that was a fairly typical British reaction. Okay, some people are going to be hip and cool and tuned in to the American way, but I think for your average British viewer. When that flared up, it's like, well, what's, what's all the fuss about? And it's 11.35, come on, who cares about that time? And the example I used was, yes, but if an American TV executive came to the UK and just decided to do things the American way without at all translating their working methods, one of the first questions would be, why is Coronation Street on at half past seven? Why is it not on at like four o'clock? You're doing a soap opera in the middle of prime time.
0: Yeah, and I think that more or less sums up the dynamic differences between the UK and the US television market and that's not to say that there isn't room for the slots to be developed or redeveloped so that the talk show format would
1: work in a later slot on I mean there were attempts constant attempts I've, I've already mentioned The Last Resort with Jonathan Ross but even then he moved at one point I think he was doing 3 nights a week around about half past 6 on Channel 4 And Danny Baker, After All, back to Late Night Saturday. The thing about Last Resort and After All, which was being aimed at a younger, hipper audience, the thing I remember people saying is, well, it's just Letterman, isn't it? It's just doing Letterman in the UK. Even down to, (laughs) there is a DC comic book called Books of Magic by Neil Gaiman, and somebody mentions Jonathan Ross and the immediate reply, I think it's as much... To clue in the American readership, as oh yes, that guy who does Letterman in Britain. Interesting. It was a constant thing that was being said, and then people think, why don't they just show Letterman? I think we've had our answer to that. Yes, it's been moved from station to station, but it's interesting they couldn't shake that association, and yet there was a good and legitimate reason for doing it, for doing that style of show, but with British references. There was no, you know, you're not going to watch a Letterman show where he's got Ian Lavender. (laughs)
0: Or Ian McCaskill.
1: <laughs> I did. Hello. So I hope I've given a little picture of why the culture I grew up in did not get me primed for being in front of a television five nights a week at 11.35, waiting to see a moderately amusing but not particularly psychologically penetrating interview. And I suppose if I do have to start looking at American chat shows, if we ever do this again, maybe I'll start to look at Mike Douglas and Dick Cavett, because of course they did the... They were more nothing between host and guest, weren't they?
0: Yes, and I recently watched the interview between Dick Cabot and Sly and the Family Stone. And it's interesting because Sly's a little bit... How should I put this? Relaxed? Off his face? Okay. Relaxed, yes. He's he's relaxed. But uh, Dick Cavett, I'm very fond of his persona and his style. And I'm definitely going to watch more. Dick Cavett in the future. So if Dick Cavett is a good cross section, then by all means, yeah.
1: I just think he's closer to what the way the america the the way the British chat show developed. Yeah. In the in the eighties, to a certain extent, in the nineties, and then of course the nineties, the desk show comes in, but it can't shake off that idea that here we are copying an American format. And it's interesting that pre Parkinson, the desk show was the thing, and I don't think anybody was thinking, well, Simon D and Simon Andrews, they're just doing, they're just doing Jack Pa. Why don't we show Jack Parr?
0: Yeah, there, unfortunately, there was never the situation where Letterman or indeed Carson were sitting there behind the desk and someone someone in the audience just goes, it's Eamon Andrews all over again.
1: <laughs> I have one last thing to add. This is on a different topic. You know you have this bet running with Mooncat about Colbert.
0: Yes, uh, for, for, the, for the benefit of the audience, uh, there's a £5 bet wagering that in which Mooncat, a.k.a. Gary, believes that Colbert would last a maximum of 18 months or so, whereas I believe he'll surpass that.
1: I have my own theory, not on how long he'll last, but on the kind of numbers he'll pull in. I don't think he's going to get to number one, and I have a theory that he's not meant to get to number one. I don't think CBS have got him in the hope that he's going to strike Fallon down. What I think is they've got him in on the hope that he will get them to number one with 18 to 34 demographics. That would make sense. I think they'll be happier if he's lower head for head, but is leading in a younger audience. That would make sense. I would agree with that. So it will be interesting to see what happens, because I think that was the thing that sort of panicked, possibly caused a certain amount of panic when Fallon came in, got number one for time slot for numbers and... For a younger demographic, I think that's why that was not unrelated to the timing of Letterman's announcement,
0: and the very successful gimmick of creating something viral almost every week with his guests.
1: Well, he should wash his hands more, shouldn't he?
0: Well, I wash my hands of this whole affair. <laughs> okay, I I don't know what that means. So I'm just gonna, I
1: I'm might. Just... See you again sometime on this topic. Yes,
0: please do. Please, please come by again. And of course, as you are in Los Angeles, you are technically our. Are you? Is it Los Angeles? I'm in Orange County. So Orange County. Yeah,
1: it's it's a bit of a commitment. And
0: well, since you're in America, <laughs> you are nevertheless our American correspondent. You are you are our Alistair Cook.
1: <laughs> okay, Alistair Cook on the wrong coast, but
0: you're, you're Alistair Cook. If he had been forced to endure...
1: Um, Alistair Cook, if he'd really been rather talking about Budge and Callan. I go back to my Red Cap DVDs, and I leave you to the chat shows.
0: Well, Ocho, thank you very much for joining us on this show, and do come back soon. And thanks once again to Ocho of the Sitcom Club podcast for joining us on this episode as a guest. And if you would like to be a guest on this show, or indeed just have a comment, want to make a recommendation of a particular show you'd like us to review, or anything like that, get in touch via Twitter at our handle at Podcast, or on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash talkshowpodcast, or you can email us admin at podnose.com, that is A-D-M-I-N at P-O-D-N-O-S-E dot com. I'm your host George Grimwood, and we'll be seeing you next time on another episode of the Talk Show Talk Show Podcast. Talk Show Talk Show Podcast is part of the Podnose Network. Music by Ian Cummins, sound engineering by Ocho, and produced and edited by George Grimwood.